0: Quick, come up with something funny to say.
1: Hello? Yo. Oh, that's really cool.
0: Somehow I think you're lying. Uh
1: Uh-huh. Oh, fail. Oh. Bad Philosophy, episode 69, recorded on July 23rd, 2010, insert sexual innuendo here. Hello, everyone. Welcome and one to Bad Philosophy, upsetting the balance of reality one rabbit trail at a time. We're here for our 69th episode, everyone. Insert sexual innuendo here. And we've got uh, that wonderful, wonderful panel of guests you've come to know and love. Uh, so I want to go ahead and just jump right in and introduce them to you. First up, you know him, you love him, Kevin Saunders. How are you doing, Kevin?
0: I'm here. Although my mic sucks because. My old one crapped out, so I'm using the internal microphone on my computer.
1: Yeah, we uh, we do apologize for the uh, for the audio uh, abuse that you're uh, probably getting. Although I will try to do my best to uh, to clean it up in post. I also understand that that addition to that, you're uh, you're a little bit
0: under the weather. Uh, well, I feel fine. I had a cold for a few days, and I'm mostly past it. Like I'm feeling pretty good. I'm just still generating more snot than is appropriate for my head, so I have to get rid of it on occasion.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, uh, try not to get rid of it into your internal mic, because I think we're going to need that. I'll do my best. Um, And second up, we've got uh, another, now pretty much becoming a mainstream uh, guest on Baz Philosophy, Kiki Cannon. Welcome back to the show.
2: Yay, I'm mainstream.
1: Yeah, well, not you know, not in the, uh, in the mainstream media type of, of the word mainstream, but in, in sort of the, uh, you know, we like to take you on most of our trips down the rabbit trail kind of mainstream.
2: Yay, I get to go on road trips. Yeah. Well,
0: well as mainstream as you can get on a podcast with, you know, an average of 100 listeners. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: you know, you're
0: mainstream-ish.
1: Also, speaking of listeners, I want to give a a quick shout-out to our chat room here. Uh, We've got Tim Bombadil and Punther, and they're being very vocal and very uh, intellectual so far. So uh, thank you all for joining on the live stream. And uh, I also want to do a a really special shout-out to uh, Don, who goes by uh, RunCMD on Twitter. Uh, He recently donated a substantial amount of money to the show towards basically getting a, a camera for us and uh, I did some searching found the best one out there and got a Sony bloggy uh, CM5 I think they call it uh, it's a nice little handheld HD cam and uh, we will be using it for our uh, story time with Kevin Saunders shorts I think what, what I'm gonna try to do is uh, Kevin and I will keep the camera each for a month and we'll uh, mail it back and forth to each other via uh, probably a postal service flat rate you think that would be best Probably. I, I think I could it's... make it fit in one of those uh, flat rate boxes.
0: Yeah. yeah, and, you know, put in a brick or two as well. Oh, yeah, um... you
1: know, just to, just to screw with them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love screwing with the Postal Service. Uh, but we won't talk about that today. Uh, we're actually going to talk about Inception. Uh, so first off, I want to just get uh, quick thoughts from y'all. Um, first impressions of the movie upon seeing it. Uh, we'll start with you, Kiki.
2: I thought that it was, like, as far as story goes, it wasn't anything groundbreaking. It was well told, and it was very visually stunning, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, this is a new definition to my world, you know?
1: Okay. And, uh, Kevin, what about you?
0: Uh, actually, I, I think, you know, there's, it definitely had some homage. It was a heist story, first and foremost. Um, instead of stealing you know, a million dollars in gold bullion, they were, you know, stealing dreams. They weren't really stealing it, but it was a heist. Right, right. It, it was a twist as,
1: um, as if they, they were a like... Bad
0: thing.
1: yeah. As, it, it the, was a Yeah, the heist equivalent a, would be... It was a
0: standard story.
1: Yeah, I, I think that the heist, well, the equivalent, heist equivalent would be, would be a heist. placing a million dollars into a bank rather than stealing a million dollars or something like that.
0: Yeah. Um, but the idea is the same. It's about infiltration. It's not about taking or giving, it's about infiltration. Right. Um, and I think that's fine, but it was, a, it was a story told exceptionally well. And beyond that, it was a story told exceptionally well that wasn't based on anything else. It was a new story, original characters, nothing we have ever seen previously. Not based on a book, not a sequel to anything, not based on a comic book, not based on a blog, because those are <laughs> becoming more popular.
1: Or, or a, uh, a certain social network of uh, relative <laughs> fame. Yeah.
0: Hey, hey, the social network looks like a good movie. Does it? Okay. I agree.
1: Well, the first rabbit trail. Yes.
0: I, the guys, I don't the I just don't think it's going to be good. I'm sorry. David Fincher is
2: directing it.
0: Yeah. How can it not be good?
2: And hey. that trailer was amazing. How well, do that, you not that, want to see it after that? That plus Mark
0: Zuckerberg is insane and megalomaniac, and so putting that in a movie can't be bad. Yeah, especially with um, David Fincher directing it, and David Fincher directing Justin you know, Timberlake, nonetheless. Who cares? Yeah. It's David Fincher directing. You know, <laughs> the guy behind oh, so many good movies. Yeah, yeah. Fight the Game Seven, Alien Three. You know, they can't all be winners. And well, <laughs> it was early. The case of Benjamin Button. He directed that.
1: You know, I I did like Benjamin Button, so uh, you know I, I I will I will withhold judgment on the film. The I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. All the
0: director, not unlike Chris Nolan, <laughs> I'd watch Chris Nolan direct a movie about walking the dogs.
1: <laughs> One thing um, I, I should mention: I went to to go see Inception at the uh, the Alamo Draft House, which is a, a kind of a boutique theater type chain here in the Austin area and uh, a couple other places in Texas and um they have a great uh, like custom pre-roll that they do for their movies so instead of seeing a bunch of you know stupid ads for you know other upcoming movies and fake behind the scenes cheesy stuff uh they did uh obscure japanese commercials uh starring leonardo dicaprio uh, as well as christopher nolan's first film uh this this short film that he did in uh in film school and it's uh it's ironic just how y- you can sort of see the the, the germ of, uh, of this idea of kind of the meta nature of reality, uh, even in this, this uh, short film. Um, I assume
0: that, well, I mean, that, that neither of you have seen as it. As early as Memento. Oh, yeah. I've not seen it. I saw Memento, though. I mean, Memento certainly fits that quality. Um, I mean, even following to some extent was about um, how life is watched how we how we view other lives and we make stories about that yeah Um, and i don't think anybody's following but it was good
1: well i'll have to i really want to go back and and watch uh his other stuff then because i've only seen memento and dark knight those are the only other christopher nolan movies i've seen have you not seen batman begins did he do batman begins i thought he only did dark knight no he did both oh Oh, no i've seen batman begins then
0: okay Uh, did you see the Prestige? Because apparently, oh, yeah. apparently that one's really. See, you've seen I, lots of Christopher Nolan movies.
1: I like Nolan the Prestige. I just without realizing it. Okay. Consciously, I have only seen and them the only one, in Dark Knight, knowing that they were Christopher Nolan movies.
0: <laughs> the other one, the only other one you probably haven't seen was Insomnia with uh, Robin Williams, but nobody no, saw that, so don't feel.
1: I have not seen that. No.
0: Um,
1: but I wanted to go a little bit deeper into into Inception because that is what we are here to talk about the uh, you know the the latest and greatest movie that's on everyone's minds uh, literally and uh, you know I'll, I'll just start off at the uh, at the end because I think it's a, it's a very appropriate place to start now now Kevin I know you have your own um uh, opinion on this but I want to go ahead and, and get it out there and uh, I'll I, spoilers there be many many spoilers so if you haven't seen inception yet uh, pause bad philosophy right now. Um, go out go to your local movie theater. Uh, buy a matinee ticket because it's still before matinee time, at least central time. And, uh, you know, come back. We'll be here waiting for you, you know, just swiddling our thumbs, eating popcorn, doing our thing. And then, uh, you know, come back, resume it. Okay, you back? All right, cool. Hey, welcome back. We missed you.
0: Glad to have you. Yeah. Okay, first, can I ask a completely or at least almost totally unrelated question.
1: No, yes, um, maybe. I don't
0: know where you are, Kiki. I don't know where Chicago. you live. Chicago. That's something that I've been wondering about. Uh, Chicago, okay, This, this that's, that's far away enough from other things. <laughs> Do they have at movie theaters where you live in Chicago, movie pickles? A big jar of pickles you get a little cup, you get one large pickle in the cup to watch, to eat when you watch a movie. Is that ever a thing you've seen in Chicago?
2: You know, I haven't seen them in Chicago, but they used to have them when I lived in Georgia. I would okay. see them all the time okay. in Georgia. That's
0: good, because I've, I've told this to other people, and they convince me that I'm just insane for thinking these things exist outside of Texas. But Georgia is outside of Texas, so I'll take it. But back to Inception, yeah. end of the movie. Oh, n- dude, I'm,
1: I'm like craving movie pickles right now. Screw you. <laughs> I love movies. Damn pictures. it! <laughs> and all I have is this jar of poblano salsa that my mother made apparently. me. It'll have to do.
0: I don't have them in the movie theaters here, and it makes me sad because I'm like, I want a movie pickle to watch with my movie or to eat with my movie. And then look at you and and just. And sometimes I want to. Yeah, <laughs> I want to ask them, and, and I don't ask them because I know they don't have them, but I want to, and you just like stare them down, down until they go get me a pickle.
1: Because <laughs> they must have them somewhere. I mean, what what the hell else do they put on the nachos? Well, no, I probably shouldn't ask that. I don't really want to know. Cheese. They put cheese on the nachos. We're leaving it at that. Okay. Are you sure it's cheese? Because it really... It, it doesn't... They put
2: a thing it's they cheese call enough.
1: cheese on the nacho. <laughs> it's a cheese product. All right. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> it's cheese enough. Okay. Inception. Inception. Uh, so the end of the movie, uh, Infamous now, I think, and, and will go down as one of the greatest movie endings of all time, uh, the top spinning, wobbling... Screen goes black. So does it fall? Does it not? Because if it falls, then you know that he's in the real world or as real as it gets. And if it doesn't, then you know he's dreaming. And uh, Kevin, I, I think he, you, you nailed it on the head with this. Uh, go ahead and, and talk about what you think that means.
0: Well, I'm, I'm going to say that I don't think it matters whether or not the top fell. Um, they're, they're, I, this was actually very fortuitous in that as I walked out of the movie... I got a Twitter from a guy named Joe Dunn, who uh, is a movie reviewer. He does Joe, du- Joe loves crappy movies, uh, <laughs> great movie reviews and comics about movies. But he says, I happily understood Inception. It was a long-term bet to see if Chris Nolan could make geeks debate whether or not a toy stops spinning. <laughs> uh, and there's, there's definite truth to that. However, um, uh, he's, he's right in more ways than one, and that it doesn't matter whether or not the toy stops spinning. What matters is that you're asking whether or not the toy stopped spinning. Yeah. Because she walked away with that ambigu- ambiguity, and you, you are invested in these characters to the point where it matters to you. And that is a sign of a successful film. And so the fact that you're questioning reality one way or the other is a much better situation than outright telling you it was a dream or it wasn't a dream.
1: Yes, which is exactly what I think mainstream Hollywood would have done. Uh, it was, it's exactly what you know they've done in, in Lost, and, and which was why people were so upset about it. Um, is that they did give you know? Yeah, they, they, they never, collapsed the way. Nobody wave would have been happy with Lost. No, yeah, that's true. Nobody
0: but... ever would have been happy with Lost. <laughs>
1: But, uh, you know, I, and that's similar to what uh, I heard someone else uh, suggest, which is that the the whole movie is itself uh, an inception of, uh, you know, of Christopher Nolan's uh, choosing, you know, trying to get everyone to, uh, to have a certain idea, to plant a certain idea in their minds. And, uh, he, you know, in that respect, he's certainly done it.
2: <laughs> yeah, but see, I'm going to take the, the slightly different view here in the fact that... I don't think it would have told us definitively whether or not it was reality or a dream, even if we had seen what the top did definitively. Because right. there's something that a lot of that, that people have been overlooking that I, that I, at least I haven't seen anybody discuss. I know what you're going
0: to say, and I agree.
2: Okay, Kevin, what am so I going to say?
0: <laughs> um, you're going to say his uh, totem was compromised.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is... is he that, got the like, top there's... from Maul, yeah. It wasn't even that he got the top from Maul. It was the fact that he told everyone and their fucking cousin w- what the top was supposed to do. Um, I'm pretty sure he told... He told only Ariadne told... what it was supposed to do. He, You know, it's like... I don't think he uh, told anybody
1: else. It was just the, Ariadne. Uh,
2: the, the Japanese guy knew all about it. Joseph Gordon-Levitt knew all about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... You know, he was letting other people touch it during the movie, and it, was, it like, it violated joke. every... Yeah, it violated every rule. Mm-hmm. So... I, you know,
0: Speaking I think of, one of the... How great was Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this movie?
2: Love <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Adore him. And okay. that boy was so made for for those for of liable. us,
1: including me, who didn't actually look at the cast list at the end, who was Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character... Oh, Ar- Stephen, Arthur Stephen, the,
2: the Stephen. second command.
0: Okay, stop watching this movie right. And stop recording this podcast right now. We'll pause it. We'll wait for you. <laughs> Go watch Brick, and then come back, and then you will appreciate. I mean, yes, you'll, you should already appreciate how awesome Jordan, Jordan levitt is from this film, but Brick will blow your mind in a completely different way. That's also awesome.
2: And speaking of the bit in the hotel, I'm gonna say that I am I'm a huge fan of of stunts and of wire work, especially when it's done correctly. And that was, I think, the most impressive thing to me as like a connoisseur of that type of you know, setup was that it was well, done it was so flawlessly.
0: Um I was actually you know, in my mind, I was trying to remember the dimensions of the Vomit Comet. I don't know if if movie f- if fans here are familiar <laughs> with that. But yeah. It's, it, it is. It is the airplane that goes on a parabolic curve that they used to film Apollo thirteen in actual free fall. Yeah, they space. didn't do that for this. It was. Well, uh, I realized. Yeah. It it wouldn't have been possible. But I'm yeah, sitting they're... here, like in the movie, thinking, like, okay, it can't have been that big to actually have done this in free fall.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, but, and but, but it how, looked but it like was. it.
0: I mean, it was yeah. a great
1: uh, zero-G scene, a series of zero-G scenes.
2: And I did like that they went with the, the Fred Astaire tumbling room for the fight sequence. That was <laughs> that was brilliant. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. 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 So.
0: Uh, it
1: just so many, yeah, and, and the fact that they were real stunts. I mean, there was very little CGI in this movie, and and when it did come about, it was, it you know, it just... It felt right, you know. It wasn't in your face. It wasn't, "Hey, look at these great special effects that we're doing." It was, "Oh, we need a we need a background for this scene," or "Oh, we need to show this, the, you know, the city folding in on itself in a believable way." And you know, that was really cool. Uh, I, I kind of appreciated that the subtlety of the of the CGI in the film. Yeah. Which,
0: which is something that I think the the previews because previews always lie lied about yes. because if, if you just watch the previews, you would think that would be what the film was about was all of this, you know, spinning rooms, flipping over cities when really it wasn't, that was a, a smaller part of the film and pretty much everything you see in the preview is everything there is in the film.
2: Yeah. I, I, agree I don't with think,
0: that. I don't think that hurt the film necessarily, but it was something where, um, you, you were led to expect more when there really wasn't any.
1: Well, you can tell it was, a, it was definitely a Hollywood decision when it came to the trailer. You know, it was, okay, we're going to highlight this because it'll pull people in, and then you know, they'll realize that it's this really heady thriller uh, that they weren't expecting, um, which you know, I kind of was expecting a heady thriller anyway, but yeah, <laughs> maybe not everyone well... was.
2: The thing it, you know in defense of them for, you know slightly how else were you going to market this movie like there's not a lot you can <laughs> put in the movie that doesn't give it away yeah like there's no, not a lot you I can you can make the trailer out of well they
0: didn't make the trailer tell you anything i mean just that's just it is is this is a hard movie to market in the world that we live in now i saw a trailer for i don't i don't even remember what the movie was um before inception and i watched the trailer and i and the trailer basically did the entire arc of the film Hmm. and it was it was just weird things i I turned to the person next to me and i said i i don't need to see that movie now because i have seen everything that happens
2: (laughs) i feel like that at every m night Shyamalan movie trailer i've ever seen really well yeah
0: those aren't hard because you just watch everything and then figure out the twist
2: yeah i've known every twist except for the happening from the trailer because and that's it
0: was because, just so stupid that yeah, yeah the happening was so to...
2: stupid who who yeah. the hell would think of that you know And <laughs> so,
0: the sixth sense you didn't know to expect a twist the sixth sense still had but, that but big i but i still bonus. knew yeah.
2: i, I told the person going in i was like i was like i don't want to see this movie because i know how it's going to end. and she's like did somebody spoil it and i'm like yeah the trailer <laughs> and i'm like i will write down what i think happens and we will see it at the end of the movie. And I did, and I was right. So
1: uh, speaking yeah. of The Sixth Sense, how is the uh, the Riff Tracks for it?
2: You know, I, I have
0: haven't gotten to watch it. it yet. Huh. What, Kevin? Yeah. I, I haven't seen that. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Well. Which is kind of sad. Yeah, kind of. I haven't, and
2: I haven't gotten to watch it yet. But I can't wait. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um. I just got some new Riff Track shorts. I was very excited. I got their two newest shorts DVDs.
1: Oh, yeah? How, are they yeah. available online as, as a package, or do you have to get the DVDs?
0: Um, no, you can, you can buy them all individually. Most of their shorts are a buck each. The longer ones are two bucks. And you get the video audio all melded together, which is yeah. you know easy to watch. Um, but I like DVDs, and they were having a sale on the, on the shorts ones, so I bought those because um, I like riff tracks. Cool.
1: Well, I want to get a little bit uh, in, a little bit deeper into the uh, the philosophy of the film because um, we you know we sort of sort of talked about the point or at least skirted around it, but you know there definitely is more to the film than the the overarching message. Um, one alternate interpretation, and you know I'm just hoping y'all will run with this. Uh, you know let's let's talk about the different possibilities. Uh, if if everything's a dream, uh, which you know it might well be. Uh, one thing that uh, my aunt actually brought up was that this whole scenario that uh, Cobb creates for himself where there's you know a a dream sharing device and he's you know at the center of this this plot and everything and he has to work with all these people is you know it's an elaborate way of him coping with uh, his wife's death and that really that's the only the real thing is that his wife died in the real world and he's now dreaming this and that all of the characters in the film are then sort of like aspects of his personality. You know, his, his creative spirit is embodied in Ariadne. His, uh, his competitive spirit is embodied in, the, you know, the guy he picks up in Mombasa. You know, his, um, his businessman inside is Sado. Um, and then the, that each of these characters is then a metaphor for something going on in Cobb's mind. Um, I kind of like that interpretation, and I think it, it might sit well with uh, others, but what, what do y'all think of that, or what are some other alternative in- interpretations y'all thought of?
0: I think yeah. it could be that, but if it was, it's, it's an injection of that into the plot. I hmm. don't know that that is inherently there. Um, I think that's sort of finding things to fit that, that theory. Um, because, I mean, I, I went into it knowing that the original title could have been Thief of Dreams. That's about all I knew. Mm -hmm. And so at the beginning I was trying to guess, well, maybe the whole thing's a dream. Um, and within the first 15 minutes, he kind of shuts that down. Yeah. Uh, To an extent. it's sort of set up that it's like, okay, you think that might be the case? No, it's not. Sorry. Bye. Now here's what's really happening. I think almost. I think he was almost trying to avoid that until until maybe you get to the end with the spinning top and the ambiguousness there. Yeah, I mean, but it's I, really I
1: it's say- you know it's a double switch. Like he he initially he goes, oh yeah, no, it's totally not uh, a dream, you know, and then so then you're in that paradigm, and you're thinking, oh okay, well you know I'll I'll take this at face value, and then he he raises the question again at the end,
0: and and I think that well, yeah that was intentional, but at the end. If, it, if, if, it, if he is dreaming at the end, it does not necessarily mean that everything before that was a dream. Yeah, because and, he and may not have ever come why. out of
1: the, the, um, the coma in the, in the, on the airplane.
0: Well, here's, here's why. Because, I mean, that, that in addition to, but before that, at, at the, the level of reality, because the movie kind of talks about these different levels that we go through, and at the level of what is presented as reality... Um, his totem reacts the way it's supposed to, and we're given the impression everybody else's does as well. Yeah. Um, Ariadne's probably does. Joseph Gordon Levitt's does. I mean, we, we know these things. We're told these things. Quick we rabbit trail, them. though. What, what do you think her little Eiffel Tower does? That was <laughs> it was a chess piece. It was a bishop. A weighted chess piece. So, so it she, just falls a certain way. It falls when you push it at a certain point. It's got, it's, it's got a weight in it at a certain point. So if you push it like at the bottom, it won't fall over. Push it the top, it will. Huh. Um, that's my guess. I mean, it's it's because the thing is, you don't want it to be a complicated thing. It has to be. I don't know if it has to be, but it's sort of implied that it has to be fixed. Yeah. <clears throat> An object as opposed to a mechanism. Yeah. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, and it depends on gravity, yeah. which is, yeah, kind of. You know, there, there are rules. I, I kind of want to talk about this a little bit. There, there are rules that they establish uh, for how the dream world works. And one of the rules is if you're in, in the higher level dream state, if you're um, in free fall, then in the, the dream state below, there's no gravity. But that apparently only penetrates one level because, you know, there's the point where the car is falling and, and the hotel right, level is, is uh, no, zero grav, but the snow level is, has gravity.
0: Which... I have an answer for that. And okay, I, and all I, and right. Not a, it's a... not a nice answer, <laughs> um, but the answer is if everything was in free fall below that, the movie would A, be really expensive, and B, less exciting. Okay, so, um, so it's the, it's a it's a production it's because necessity because of narrative structure. That <laughs> Which, That's the answer. You know, and and the, the little rules
1: seemed very you know very convenient, and and you know the way everything was set up to work with you know how how folks were killed and how they wake up and you know how they experience pain. It, it all it all seemed pretty arbitrary because oh you know well you you wake up if you're killed unless you're in a really deep you know s- s- level of sleep in which case you go to a lower level or you don't wake up at all or you know it's just yeah it, it seemed
0: pretty contrived so it's, but it's then okay again if you don't think about it too much yeah well that was one really of the things the that you show. can't
1: really overthink in the film
2: <laughs> well it's it's yeah. the unlike something like with the matrix where it's like okay you know there's like a scientific thing it's like it's a dream. And how many, how much weird crap has ever gone on in your dreams? You know, it's
1: like, and and that to me was another, uh, another piece of evidence that, that it really was all in Cobb's head is that, you know, sort of the inconsistencies are, you know, his mind sort of creating rules as he goes along because, you know, that's the thing when you're in the dream, rules are different and they're changeable and, you know, they're, they're kind of fluid, and you, you kind of can manipulate things or things just arbitrarily change. Um, so in that sense, it was very much like uh, a dream. The other thing, and I, I want to get your comment on this, Kevin, is uh, and, and it, it's pretty much the strongest piece of evidence that I've got. Um, very early on in the movie, Sato uses the line, um, come take a leap of faith with me, and which is you know the exact same wording mean, that Maul Sato... The, um, whatever his name is, character, the, the Japanese um, okay, corporate head okay. that hires them for whatever, yeah. Are
0: you, are you talking about the very beginning when he's really old? No, um, when they're in the helicopter, when, when
1: he's offering Cobb the job oh, okay. with yeah. Fisher. He says, you know, take a leap of faith with me, which is the, in, in the exact same wording as Maul before she, quote, jumps uh, in, in uh, Cobb's recollection. So that to me was like, you know, that recurring theme of, of, you know, take a leap of faith. It seemed to indicate that, you know, he was thinking about that idea, uh, in both and instantiating it in both of these characters, both these times, um, across this, this overarching dream. Uh, you know, what do y'all think of that?
2: I th- I think the the bigger support for the fact that this was all his catharsis in his head is actually the song they used. Really? Um, yeah, because I don't know if you're familiar with the song, because it was... I'm not. No. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a song called Non Je Ne Regret Rien, which is an Edith Piaf song from the 40s, like 30s, 40s, uh, World War II kind of time. And it's about... The the literal translation is, you know, I won't have any regrets about this relationship that mm. we were in. And the fact that that's, like, his clue to wake up from each of these different levels. And that in each of these different levels, he accomplishes some sort of catharsis. You know, he yeah. makes himself feel useful. and And the fact that it's not... Him that picked the song, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character that supposedly uses this song, I think, is very much a a clue that that was probably just another facet of his subconscious yeah. using this song.
1: So I, I I think there are definitely clues there, and and perhaps these are clues that Christopher Nolan placed intentionally to to keep the debate going. Uh, but you know, we haven't talked really in depth about the. Uh, the idea that it it doesn't matter that it's the you know the quantum super state that that is is um, is important to you know to keep in mind that Cobb is happy at the end where he is and that really is the point of the film is is from whatever you know there is only the present there's only the now there may be an infinite number of levels above or below but wherever he is at the moment is what's most important you know, that, that the real yeah. that the real actually isn't important. It's you know completely choice perception, yeah, and choosing the experience that you want to
0: have. Well, I think it's I think if if um, that is a dream, if, if the it's a dream theory is correct, then I think there's a lot of truth to that because and this something's just occurring to me, so I'm kinda of trying to work it out. But, you know, he spins the top, he looks up, sees his kids, and then goes to them, and the top is spinning, which means that he, at that moment, chooses to give up on the top one way or the other. Yeah. He says, I no longer care if this is the dream or if this isn't. He has moved into the world of happiness one way or the other. Right. Right. And it's probably likely that, unlike most One Last Job heist films, because it totally was, it doesn't actually lead to them getting back together and doing more jobs. (laughs) Yeah. It really was the last job for him. Yeah, there's Um, not going to be an Inception (laughs) 2. He's he's probably going to put away, you know, the dream-sharing equipment and give up on that because he he doesn't need to do it anymore. He's living his life happily doing what he wants to, which is raising his kids.
1: Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, T.T.?
2: You know, I mean, I think there, there is something to that, but I think the, there's a couple of telling lines where one is when, you know, they see all the people that are there, you know, dreaming because it's the only way they can. And because they think it's reality on the other side, is that the guy's like, and who's, you know, he's like, they, they come here to be woken up, and who's to tell them that they're wrong? Yeah. You know?
1: And that's very and, much a, a basic epistemology type of a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
2: and there there have been, you know, I know of at least one Native American tribe that, you know, in their kind of religious idea that they held that the world we see when we dream is the real world. And, but it's so kind of crazy and complicated that we come and we dream of this boring state to escape the craziness of reality. Yeah. You know, and it, it was kind of, you know, a nod to that, I think, in in that way. And, uh, you know, what was, was Nolan's
1: message, you know, really that we shouldn't care about uh, reality, about you know authenticity really that that what matters ultimately is just pure experience you know the the uh, phenomenon of living um from whatever uh, perspective we may uh, be you know it it doesn't it doesn't matter whether the experience is genuine in some in in a uh, in a metaphysical sense it matters whether it's genuine to us in a phenomenological sense
2: well i think I'm okay you with know that. yeah I think philosophically speaking and this is this is kind of what got said to me to spoil the movie first accidentally. Oh. My roommate said, you know, hey, I heard a review where it said that it was that it, you know, the entire movie could could be considered just a retelling of the the allegory of the cave, but he didn't know what that meant. And I'm like, well, thank you. Now I know what the entire plot is. Like. <laughs>
1: well, it, yeah, but um, so was the Matrix, but in a different
2: way. Yeah, and I mean, like, like I said, it was you know, it's once you hear that, it's if you're familiar with that, you know, you kind of know where everything's going. But I think if it was intended to be that, it was very well done. Well, and, and you I know,
1: I would, I think that's that's really diminishing it to to say it's just a retelling of the allegory of the oh, cave. No. I mean, it's it's goes it starts with that and then turns it on its head and does it five times sideways. Um, I mean, beyond the levels that that Plato ever really considered. Um, Well,
2: I mean, I think it's less a telling of the allegory of the cave and more the idea like his theory of ideas. hmm. Because the allegory of the cave was one part in this overarching theory that he had written, which was that in the end, the form, the idea is the most important thing. That's the only way to tell reality. Not necessarily the, the instantiation of it. Yeah, the idea is reality and not our perception. Hmm. You know, that ideas are the only thing that are truly there. You know, everyone perceives reality in a different way, but the idea is transmittable in, you know, a similar way.
1: Yeah, I really liked the scene where they were, were trying to brainstorm a way of conveying the idea to uh, to Fisher, you know, how, how to frame, you know, I will break up my father's empire um, and then coming up with motivation and emotion and, and the idea that um, <laughs> I, I keep using the term. But, you know, the 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 uh, I'm losing my words, <laughs> the articulation of of ideas in emotion and saying that ideas are always emotionally based. Um I thought that was pretty powerful, you know, and it really it really strikes at the you know the the concrete logical structure of of reality you know you have to say no, you know everything in our minds is is affected by emotion, um which is really about you know kind of the influence Cobb has on the story, bringing maul back again and again and uh not being able to do certain things to her uh emotion is a is a big part of of the the movie
2: yeah and i I think as well it's it's the the idea of even more so, <laughs> if it is just his his dream, I think it's the idea of that you can find you know whatever leads you to happiness is not necessarily a bad or an untrue thing. Mm-hmm.
1: And you it's o- it's okay to to take solace in something that maybe isn't you know big R real, but is nonetheless real and uh and has import to you and and significance to you
2: yeah that's I, i think that's pretty good i think that's shown with you know not only you know cobb's character but you know fishers you know when they're when they're getting killian murphy to you know to reconcile in his brain with his dad Uh you know and i think that that's as well because it's like even if you know it is reality and that's you know all what they were doing and they really did that and this was a real guy then okay even if it was done for kind of you know crappy purposes you know to help another businessman it's like you, you still gave that guy that sense of catharsis and that sense yeah. of my dad really loved me. So in that sense, it's one of those, yeah. like, you know. But it's also a lie. It is. I mean, what, what his
1: dad says at that I deepest mean, level is the plant, is the,
0: the constructed idea. It's fake. Yeah. Which is, which is something that is kind of, is certainly, I mean, the film is about Leonardo DiCaprio's character. I, I don't think there's a lot of question in that. Which is interesting because the Cillian Murphy character is permanently changed and it's sort of just passed over. Like he is it's not that he changes due to his circumstances. I mean he does, but everything about that was constructed and formulated and planned to be very precisely, you know, exactly what it was to make him have a different idea in his head. Yeah, to become a different person. Which is pretty crazy. Yeah. And I really almost wish they had kind of explored the implications of that, because they didn't. Uh, well, and, but, and maybe they
1: didn't, because that was just part of, of uh, Cobb's dream as well. <laughs> but But
2: here's the thing, Kevin. I mean, like you said yourself, that the idea was probably, like, it doesn't matter if it's you know, a dream or reality because he's happy. And it's the same thing of like, you know, okay, if, you know, if Killian Morrissey's character is real and, you know, all that kind of stuff, it's like, okay, he could be mega rich and completely unhappy and always thinking he's, you know, his father hated him. Or he could be less rich and... Have somewhere deep in him the idea of okay, my father really loved me at some point. Yeah, you know, which which he you know he probably did. You know, in in some way, Maybe. you know, there were all those pictures that supported that. But it's like, yeah. you know, what if if it if it's not a harm for Leonardo DiCaprio's character to be happy in a dream, then why would it be a harm for Killian Murphy's character to be happy in reality? stemming from the events of a dream
0: i guess it goes to a a men's versus an ends versus means distinction Um, the fact that he turned out to be happy was almost a side effect of their main goal of getting him to break up the company yeah which which okay well it's a good thing that's all right but if it had worked better that you know, his father, if, if it turned out that he and his father had been really close the whole time and they'd been, you know, shared this loving relationship and sort of break up the company he would have to make it so his father secretly hated him, which could work just as well, would we would we be more angry about it? Probably. Uh, and
1: and that, that was one thing that sort of got me about the whole thing and, and about this whole idea is that it really is that ending emotional state that's important and what you do to get there isn't. Um, I know many deontologists, many, uh, you know, the religiously inclined would have a problem with that because it is very much of, of an ends justify the means uh, approach, but, you know, we won't get too far into that because that's an age-old debate and it probably won't get resolved on our episode today. <laughs> um, I, I want to talk about for the last part of the episode here, uh, kind of the, the Hollywood fallout for Inception, and uh, I know, Kevin, you have some ideas about this, um, you know, just what are we going to see more uh, Inception like movies? Is is meta going to become the next you know superhero theme <laughs> in, in the movies for the next few years or what?
0: Um, well, I don't know that it will. Actually, I'm afraid of it becoming that. Um, I kind of said I don't know if I put it on Twitter or not, but I said you know after I saw Inception, I really liked Inception, and I I want to see more good movies which is not saying, I want to see more movies like Inception. Uh, at least not like Inception in the sense of,
1: of, of the things that were unique to it. Like it in the sense of yes. uh, maybe being heady, you know, maybe being kind of difficult to follow, good having story good characters. Telling,
0: yeah. Strong characters, things like that. That's what I want to see in movies. And mind you, that's in lots of movies. I have lots of movies with that. And, and that's okay, and that's good, and I want to see more of it done well. Um, but what I'm kind of afraid of happening is... You know, Hollywood sort of taking the obvious things from Inception and putting them in other places and in different films without realizing the talent that went into that um, and turning out a bunch of really lousy Inception clones. I'm trying to think, you know, another example of that is, um, you know, the dark, gritty comic book movies that we've gotten since The Dark Knight, another Christopher Nolan film. Um, that were that sort of came out as a reaction to that. Um, none of which really achieved great claim, you know, fame or acclaim or popularity. But they made money. But I think Inception, they, they did. Well, they probably did. Um, the one thing I think Inception has going for it, um, and it's not, I, I don't mean to sound disparaging when I say this, but Inception did not have a Dark Knight opening weekend.
2: It's no, actually made it
0: $60 million opening weekend. Now, $60 million is a good opening weekend. That's nothing to scoff at. Um, and it will certainly make a profit for the company. And you know, Christopher Nolan's still going to make the next Batman movie and the Superman movie. And he's got a brilliant career ahead of him, I'm sure. But it didn't, it wasn't a Spider-Man. You know, when, when Spider-Man came out, Spider-Man kind of broke the mold, or created the mold, I should say, for superhero movies. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, a huge success. It was was the first time an origin story had been told well. Um, But the problem with that is every superhero movie after that had to become an origin story. (laughs) It had to be about how how they got their powers. And then the second one had to be about how they struggled with whether they wanted to, you know, keep being a superhero or, you know, live their normal life. And then they sort of give up their powers, but then they don't. And then the third one has to be crap. <laughs> so maybe I'm over
2: it, Well, if you're but talking about the Spider-Man I mean, of... movies, then all three have to be crap. But, yeah,
0: you know. yeah. I, I was not a big fan well, of that. But, but,
1: but I think here, you know, Kevin, on the yeah. other hand... Um, but we've seen that sort of trend. Yeah, but here's the deal. $60 million for, uh, you know, an intellectual, philosophical movie is almost unheard of. Uh, I mean, w- you know, how much did Memento make on Opening Weekend? How much did uh, Fight Club make on Opening Weekend? Uh, how much did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind make on Opening Weekend? I well, mean, these me were not...
0: Well, I can tell you. Yeah, I, I would venture That's to guess that... That's why they have Box Office mojo.
1: <laughs> well, while you're looking that up, I'm just going to theorize that uh, they did not make nearly as much as Inception on Opening Weekend. And it was because... You know, these are not movies that are going to bring a lot of people in before they know uh, what the films are about. And even once they know what the films are about, these are not the kind of movies that everyone in the population are going to like. Because they they really do require a different sort of movie watching uh, investment. I mean, you really do have to be thinking throughout this movie. It's not one that you can just sit back and let it wash over you. Like the mindless superhero movies, you know, Spider-Man, Hulk, whatever that have come out. Uh, these are—it's really something you have to invest um, intellectual capital in, and uh, you know, not not everyone is willing to do that, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Okay, so A- any answers, Kevin? <laughs> Eternal Sunshine. What were the other ones you mentioned? Uh, fight Club. Um, yeah, so far, Memento. Fight Club made 11, Fight Club made eleven million. Eternal Sunshine made eight million. Keep giving me names.
1: Um. Gosh. Did uh... not
0: mention Memento. Yeah. Yes. There we go. That was one of the things. That's another Christopher Nolan one. Right. Um. Uh, I love boxofficemojo.com. Um, Memento made two hundred thirty-five thousand opening weekend. Dang.
1: <laughs> but no, to be fair, granted, these, these were, we were probably the not as theaters. <laughs> well, yeah, Eternal Sunshine was was more in the beginning, but and, and, you know, a lot of it might be that Inception was a uh, very big budget. It definitely had a lot of uh, a lot of marketing behind it, a lot of advertising. You know, saw trailers for it everywhere. There was a lot of buzz going into Inception. Uh, that I don't think there was for Which is for interesting any of these
0: considering people. how little of the plot was made known ahead of time. Yeah. um Um, but i you know
1: here's the deal though like i could see from the trailer at the very least that it was going to be an interesting movie that it was going to be something different that it was going to be you know potentially really heady and i didn't i didn't i guess appreciate just how heady it was going to be until i actually got in there but what it presented what the trailer presented to me was here's here's an idea you know here's here's a possibility and uh in my mind went ooh you know someone with a really good uh with really good ability could make a good movie out of that idea and uh i i look at christopher nolan and i go oh well he's made pretty damn good movies in the past this will probably be a good movie um you know and it wouldn't maybe have been the case for a lesser known writer uh, or you know someone who'd never done this kind of movie before so i think yeah. pedigree was very important too
2: but the the thing you got to remember is he was working on this movie like since he had the idea like in high school, yeah.
1: Well, and he clearly you know, I mean, had it for his work- first short film too. Yeah,
2: yeah. He he's been working on this idea for for quite some time, and I think that that's you know great. That I you know I kind of applaud that. Of like the that it, for him it was kind of the the thing that got stuck in his head and he couldn't get it out. You know,
1: <laughs> which is appropriate. I wonder who gave him the idea or, or where he got it. Maybe in a uh, dream.
2: <laughs> he actually, yeah. He, he said that it was the he got the idea the first time he experienced a lucid dream, hmm. and he began I to. I just had my uh,
0: first lucid dream like a month ago, FYI. I just wanted to share <laughs> that. Oh yeah. Well, why don't you tell us about it? I ahead, had one Kevin? a month ago. Um, I mean, it wasn't a very excited lucid dream. Exciting lucid dream, and I don't remember much of it because you kind of forget dreams when you wake up. But I was asleep and I knew I was asleep, and I had this moment of I'm dreaming right now. This is really cool. I can do whatever I want. And that part really stuck with me. That feeling of being in a lucid dream really stuck with me. And lucid dreaming has been something that I've wanted to do for years. And I've always tried to like find, you know, ways and means. And it's really not a thing you can kind of instigate from what I can tell with any reliability. But I was, I, I was with people and friends and stuff. The one thing I remember feeling about the Lucid dream more than anything else was it felt very flat. And, and that's, that's not a very good description because everything was in three dimensions and you know I, I was fully free to move around. But it was like it was taking place in a pane of glass yeah. from the side, which was really cool. And if I'd made Inception, I would have built that into something that happened when I was making Inception. But I didn't make Inception. Christopher Nolan did, and I'm happy for it. <laughs> yeah, I what, what the... he really
1: did with—I uh, just, I just want to comment on that real quick, Kiki. Uh, what he really did is—and uh, this ties in with the special effects stuff—is he made it, you know, real because of that, you know, the feeling in the dream that everything's real. So he made it look real. He didn't make it look dreamy or you know trippy or anything like a lot of dream sequences do. Mm-hmm.
0: Because, you know, he wanted
1: to put you in the mindset of the dreamer, which is, this is the real world. You know, this is all real. I don't have any reason to question this. Um, but anyways, c- continue your uh, your comment there.
2: Well, it's like, you know, last night, because this is, I think, what happens when you get somebody with my brain type and a movie like Inception, is I because when one of the reasons why i kind of didn't want to wake up to even do the podcast was because i kept i was in the middle of this really kind of awesome dream which was kind of mind trippy in the fact that it started out that it was just like me and some friends in a house and like oops zombie apocalypse time <laughs> which you know oops. i i will i will grant is like quite a large percentage of my dreams oh yeah but, <laughs> I've, I've
1: had many zombocalypse dreams and they're they're yeah. very fun
2: <laughs> yeah but the funny thing is is eventually it became like the zombie apocalypse as told through groundhog day like every time <laughs> we would go to sleep we would wake up on the first day of the zombie apocalypse again and eventually we started remembering i want to see this movie <laughs> this would be a great movie. I want <laughs> And we started, like, remembering, like, oh, wait, zombies are going to show up in a couple hours. So, like, every time it started over again, we started, like, planning for it. And so, like, the first day it was just we were making barricades out of, like, whatever was in the house and, like, By the fifth day, we had, like, an organized party to go to Home Depot and, like, get all these building supplies. And eventually, like, somebody was raiding the hospital, like, the hour before the zombies hit. Because we had it timed down. But for some reason, no matter what we did, the zombies always ended up winning out. And we would start over again.
1: This... I, I agree, Kevin. I I really want to see this movie.
2: I want. To I see think it this would be movie. a great movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, somebody out there, uh, one of our BF uh, fans, if you feel like donating the funds necessary to make this movie, um, will give you a significant cut. Uh, or yeah. you know, if you want to help us make yeah. it, that would be awesome too.
2: Yeah. Or if you I, just I want to make it
1: on your own. Oh, we'll let
0: be in it. Or you let us be in it. Yeah. Somebody let somebody else who's involved with this be in, be in it because this movie. <laughs> needs to exist
1: yeah oh you know we could i i bet you know if we all lived in the same area and had access to better equipment we could totally do this as a short film
2: see the sad thing is is if you guys lived up here feature feature? (laughs) i i i have access to that equipment i just don't have access to the people who want to do it with me so you know like you guys are chopping it around I'm telling you, yeah. I, I bet you'll,
0: you'll I'm find. I'm closer somebody to Chicago to than Stephen is. I'm in Ohio.
2: Yeah, you I'm guys just come up and crash, and we'll we'll like spend like a month churning out a film. Awesome,
0: I'm down for it. Why didn't we have this idea at the beginning of summer? <laughs> this is a beginning of summer idea. Well, there's always next summer, Kevin. Yeah, yeah,
1: but between yeah. now and then, you'll probably have had a better lucid dream, right?
2: <laughs> who knows? Hey, if I'm hoping if he to has have a better, I've, I've, I've had one. If he has a better lucid dream, better than yours, Kiki. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say if you have a better lucid dream than Zombocalypse Groundhog Day, I I dare you.
0: But um, well, was yours was yours lucid, Kiki, or were you just dreaming?
2: Well, the funny thing is, I'm not sure if if it was lucid because in the dream we were aware that it was like every time we went to sleep we would do this, so it was like. It was kind of the thing of, like, part of my brain was aware of, like, there are things you can change in each iteration. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if it was a lucid okay. dream in the sense that, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I definitely have dreams like yeah. that, too. Yeah. Where you're, you're, like, you're aware that this is a, a copy of a previous dream. But things are different, and yet you can't really control them, or you don't want to, <laughs> or something. I, I've rarely yeah. had lucid dreams where I was like, "Oh, that. I'm dreaming." It was just sort of like, "Oh, I discovered that I have this modicum of control over things, and oh, look at that, I can fly and steer yeah. myself, and sweet." But yeah. I don't, I don't have, I, I don't think I've ever had that thought. Oh, I'm dreaming in a dream,
0: uh, or at least never. I had. have. Well articulated. It, it was only about a month ago, and it was pretty awesome, and I want to do it again. Yeah, you know, I'm sure there are books out then there. I could finally do something productive with my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've uh, we've pretty
1: much talked out this topic and and really brought forward one of the the, the best uh, the best episodes in a while. Um, so I, you know, thank y'all for being here. Uh, this is this was definitely fun. Uh, you know, co dreaming with y'all in in our uh, possibly dream reality,
2: dude. If we're honestly dreaming <laughs> of podcasts.
1: If we're, we're dreaming we're, of podcasting, yeah. we are we are some sad souls, aren't we?
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, we are. You know, I <laughs> screw y'all. I'm gonna go fly or something. <laughs> <shit>. This is <laughs> screw this.
2: <laughs> you know how to fly, don't you, Steven? Well, Just throw oh, yourself God. at the ground and miss. <laughs>
1: um okay well uh kiki thank you for uh for coming back on the show once again uh where can uh where can folks get uh your other thoughts uh, and possibly synopses of future lucid dreams
2: <laughs> um no no promise of synopses but as always you can find me online uh at twitter.com slash voice of kiki that's k-i-k-i
1: and uh and kevin thanks for being on the show uh cold and and crappy microphone in all uh, where can folks follow you I on the care. interwebs?
0: Uh, still at twitter.com slash kevsun, K-E-V-S-A-U-N-D. Oh, and you mentioned Formspring.
1: That's, uh, that's also Formspring slash kevsun?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yes, it is. Um, but I'm, I, I will say I'm very slow to answer questions because I think about them for a while. I've got the one I just answered like yesterday, I've had in my box for two months. <laughs> but I will answer them. It just takes me a while. All right, but so I don't let that discourage you from it. asking him, huh. people.
1: <laughs> yeah. All righty, well, you can follow the show on uh, twitter.com slash Uh We do apologize for the, uh, the episodes not going up as quickly as possible, but uh, I'm working on it, people. I'm working on it. Well, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Dreaming or not on Bad Philosophy.
0: I have to blow my nose. I've been holding it for about 20 minutes. Please Sweet. cover your ears. I, I think the ice packs have... <laughs> I managed to keep it out of the
2: show. Yes, you did. I have a feeling it's going into the show anyway. I think so. <laughs> philosophy.com <laughs>